Welcome to Family of Conviction. This is a prepaid collect call from... That's a ...an inmate at... I'm your anonymous host. How does he get wrongfully convicted? And he looks at them and he said, ambition. I'm a friend of Vincent Dewey's and I'm hosting this podcast anonymously due to the vindictive nature of the bad actors involved. Their names and any other non-voluntary parties will be redacted from these episodes for the sake of legal protection. You have to understand, 100% of the prosecutors in this country are elected. As a bonus episode on Family of Conviction, I wanted to share some additional interview pieces from my conversation with Lonnie Sori about the system at large and other cases he's worked on. I hope you enjoy. Thanks again, Lonnie, for helping us out. I am the co-founder of Families and Friends of the Wrongfully Convicted. I am a crisis manager uh, and a wrongful conviction uh, expert. When I was a young man many years ago, I was in front of Attica Prison the day before the famous, infamous Attica uprising and Attica assault by the New York State Police, which killed 43 inmates and guards in 1971 or 72 in Attica Prison. I was in college at the time and, and with a group of students, uh, you know, activists, we went to Attica, which is about 50 miles outside of uh, Buffalo from the University of Buffalo, to bear witness on what we thought would happen is that the police or some military entity would, would storm the prison. And we were there and then we were forced to leave because the town's people, which were mostly, you know, families and corrections officers, um, threatened us and we left and um, you know, the next day or two it was invaded. So that began my my interest in in, in criminal justice and reform and um, I my first job when I was twenty five was with the Fortune Society, which was a program for ex offenders. I went to graduate school and studied sort of prison or criminal justice and social work and and then Ronald Reagan got elected, and I made a U-turn into advertising and marketing and public relations. And then years later, came back to the, the work that I felt um, always been, you know, a believer in justice. But in 2002, I received a call from a police detective, a friend of mine. I'd like to say uh, back in the day, I went to the anti-war movement, and he went to the police academy when we were 17. And he asked my, my help on this case, this, this injustice out in Suffolk County. I said I would be glad to help him for a few days. And six years later, we finally freed the innocent man named Martin Tangle, who was uh, sentenced to 50 years to life, had, coer- had been coerced to false confession, and um, was a horrible, horrible injustice. His parents were found murdered in the house. He found them, and, and his father was still alive, barely, and called 911 and the police came and the, and the ambulances and the cops took him. They told him they were taking him to the hospital for, to be with his father and they took him to the precinct, threw him in a room and, and created a scenario in which the only rational answer is he must have been involved. I must have blacked out, he said, because they told him that his DNA was at the crime scene. They told him that his father had woken up from his coma and essentially said that Marty killed him or attacked him. And Marty said that's impossible, but he didn't know what else to believe. So 63% of all wrongful convictions that have been overturned by DNA involved a false confession, all uh, homicide. 
that's how I started getting involved. And, and what I thought would be a few days work turned into a, almost a decade. And 20 years later, I'm still involved with my, my firm, my public relations firm, my colleagues. We built a campaign around freeing an innocent man. And this was way before Serial and all these other podcasts. And we built a website. This was before the, you know, before really social media, but we built a website and um, we, we built the public relations and social activism campaign, working closely with investigators and the attorneys and, and uh, in an effort to overturn Marty's conviction, which we finally did in 2008. So it was uh, six years after I started working on it. What was finally successful about Marty's case? Like, it's sort of like, you know, what unlocked the Rubik's Cube, if you will, to finally get it overturned? You know, in every wrongful conviction, it means there wasn't an investigation, right? Because you can't have a, if you have an honest investigation, then you wouldn't get the wrong guy. I mean, this stuff doesn't happen by mistake. You know, you don't pick up the wrong guy by mistake. You prosecute the wrong guy, for your, meaning the pros, for your own ambition and your own reasons. So the first thing in overturning a wrongful conviction is doing an investigation. And as somebody said to me, time is the wrongfully convicted person's best friend. Because decades, years, usually when you use the word wrongful conviction, it means the person's been in prison for a decade or two. Hmm. And there are people out there that have information. For instance, in cases you may work, there are people that know people, people who've heard things, people who have evidence. They don't know they necessarily have evidence. Most people don't pay attention, right? They're not sitting there going, Oh, I wonder how Marty Tankliff is doing serving 50 to life. Right. So they don't know that they have information until you unlock it. And you unlock it by re what we call reinvestigating. Sometimes that means setting up a confidential tip line and publicizing it and getting it into the newspapers and creating a public campaign to gain new evidence. Not just to publicize the case for publicity's sake, although that's important but to publicize the case to get new evidence, to get support from the legal community, from the advocacy community, from the victim's community. Because also in every wrongful conviction, the bad guy or gal is still in our community, right? right. The innocent guy went to jail, the bad guy is in the community. Hmm. It's a public safety issue. Hmm. So anyway, it starts with the reinvestigation. And it also means getting a good communications team, communications strategy with a good attorney. Now, you could have a good attorney, but a bad communication strategy, not good. What I say to legal groups, lawyers, I say if in this day and age, I'm not even talking about wrongful convictions, any case, if you don't have a public strategy, you're committing malpractice because the prosecutor has a public strategy. The prosecutor creates a narrative that will convince most jurors that your person is guilty whether they're guilty or not i mean i just worked on a case where a guy got out after 27 effing years his name is nelson cruz nelson went in at 17 and he just got out a couple of weeks ago after 27 years for a murder of a drug dealer or something in, in, in east new york back in 1995 or something anyway the police come onto the crime scene they witness the murder they actually witness the murder. They, wit they see the gun go off. They don't shoot the perpetrator because there were children around and this and that. They grab the guy that killed the other guy. They take him into the precinct. They have him arrested. They, but then it goes to the detective bureau. 
And the corrupt detectives, in this case, Scarcella, who's an infamous Brooklyn detective. Oh, yeah. Heard his name a few times. Somehow decides that the guy that they picked up is not the guy he wants arrested. Now, we surmise that maybe he was a, a, a confidential informant for the cops, whatever it is. They then pick up my friend, my colleague, Nelson Cruz, 17-year-old. They frame a case around him. The cop that saw the police officers that saw the murder go to court and testify at his trial that they saw the murderers and it wasn't him. Guess what? The jury convicted him of murder. I mean, you can't make it up, right? In most cases, it's prosecutory and police misconduct. It's not like the cops just made a mistake. They don't make mistakes. They don't get the wrong guy. Now, sometimes a witness will misidentify somebody. Numerous cases. There was a famous case recently with an author, a famous author, who was raped by somebody and then and years later saw the guy in the street and went to the police. The guy was arrested and spent a long time in prison before he was finally exonerated due to DNA. So, you know, it's possible that a witness makes a mistake. But once the police have either a confession or a witness ID, no matter how scurrilous, like in your the case you were discussing, we were discussing, it doesn't matter. The prosecutor will prosecute because they can, because they think, well, it's not about, is this guy really guilty? It's a, whether we have enough evidence to get a conviction. Why do you think they're so motivated to put innocent people behind bars? You know, bars? it's so interesting. So Damien Eccles is a fellow who was on death row, and I helped free him. And it's called the West Memphis Three case. You may have heard of it. It was in Arkansas. There was three movies made about it, Paradise Lost, books. So Damien, we get Damien out of prison. We get a deal. We make a deal with the Arkansas authorities Ten years ago, so we make a deal. He gets out. I mean, he wasn't over. His conviction wasn't overturned because we were able to make a deal to get him out, and we felt that was the best thing we could do it in the in the most immediate sense, rather than continuing to stay in court, which could have taken years more to get him out. Even though we believed he finally would have been had his case overturned. Anyway, so a couple of weeks after Damien gets out, we're sitting in, in a big law firm in Washington, and the lawyers at the partners asked Damien, "How did you get wrongfully convicted?" And he looks at them and he said, ambition. <laughs> and we all kind of like, Damien's brilliant. We all kind of looked at each other. But what does that mean? And then I add, the police in the case became police chiefs. The police chiefs became prosecutors. Prosecutors became judges. And this is all true. And the judge became a state senator, all on Damien Eccles' death row conviction. Ambition. You don't get ahead by freeing an innocent man. You get ahead by convicting an innocent man or convicting people. So ambition plays a huge part in the prosecutors and judges, for that matter, because you have to understand 100% of the prosecutors in this country are elected. They're politicians. 50% of the judges in this country are elected. They're elected officials. They're politicians. They are part and parcel of a system that rewards people for not for getting along so it's a very cynical view of the world of the criminal justice system but i believe it's an incredibly accurate do you think kathleen rice is prosecuting somebody because she doesn't think it will be especially a high profile case yeah 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 and she ran for office within six months of bringing Vinny's case to trial well that's all the more reason to prosecute Vinny oh. because she was running for office and she could hang her hat on a on a conviction of a, a a sexual abuse case, which are almost very high profile, very, you know, emotional. Anyway, 
that's Danny Nichols' answer, ambition. And I firmly agree with it. And, and prosecutors are, are very adept at creating a narrative. And then, and every case, every when I talk about high-profile cases, those that, that are in the newspaper, the ones that I know about, ones I've worked on, the narrative is very effective, right? In Damien Eccles' case in Arkansas, the narrative was that it was a Satanistic act, like three children were brutally murdered. The only way to explain the brutality of the murder would be like a sacrifice or something like that. Marty's case in Long Island in 1989 was because he was a spoiled rich kid and his parents, and he was angry that they gave him a crummy old Lincoln to drive. So the spoiled rich kid narrative worked with the jury and uh, among other things, among the lies and the, and the conspiracy to convict him, because the prosecutors, it's like old, these guys are old line, you know, these guys and women. Yeah. I mean, I should, you know, we're not going to give Kathleen Rice or Madeline Singus or Corrigan a, a bypass. They're all a bunch of, you know, horror stories. How? Because, like, it is really hard to get an appeal. It's really hard. Like, I was shocked that Jesse got an appeal in the first place. Like, what did it, you think? Oh, Andrew Jarecki and Ron Kuby and me and a whole team of people. You know, well, he's on, he's a level three sex offender. Yeah, so, so he yeah, can't he's have on a lifetime life. yeah, sex yeah. offender parole. He served time with Marty Thankler. They were in the Jewish wing of Denimora. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <Bad joke. laughs> Vinny, Vinny's a Denimora, too. Oh, is he? Yeah. Interesting. He's done well in the sense that he's helping other people with their cases. So, um, and he needs Bruce and Marty. He's got to somehow raise some money or need a new, we need an investigator. The first thing we need is a private investigator. And exactly. I, what, what in your, do you know, like, what does that cost? I mean, you know, it's not that expensive for an investigator. But that's, that's how Marty got out. Fortunately, Marty's investigator was on the front page of the New York Times recently and Oh. You should read the article. I mean, he's, he's he's not licensed anymore because of some issues, but right. you know, he's he's a incredible guy. He saved Marty. Well, I so appreciate Thank the you. introductions, and this is just going to be a great standalone interview. And I might even well, I hope so. I mentioned wrongful convictions, and I'll talk for a couple of hours. So. <laughs> we you know, need more of you in this world, good. Lonnie. We need more. I of have you. a lot to say. <laughs> To read more about Lonnie and learn about his organization, Family and Friends of the Wrongfully Convicted, go to wrongfullyconvicted.info. Thanks again for joining us.